invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of Luke once again, uh, Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8 in Luke chapter 18. Sometimes known as the parable of the persistent widow or the parable of the unjust judge. Uh, This story, this I think will help us understand it, um, comes between two references to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he will come to bring judgment and salvation at the end of this age. So back in chapter 17, the Pharisees had asked a question about the coming of the kingdom, and that led Jesus into a little teaching seminar with his disciples about uh, the need to be prepared for the coming of his return. And now here in Luke 18, verse 8, Jesus asks the question that when, when, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And so this parable that we are going to think about uh, together today comes between these references to the second coming of Jesus. And and that's helpful because what Jesus is teaching here is all about life in the in-between. The life of his disciples between his first and second coming. What kind of faith and what kind of hope Jesus wants his disciples to have. And so Jesus has words for these these first disciples, which I think we'll see are universally applicable to all of his disciples. Words about prayer, words about hope. And Jesus is concerned about these men on this occasion because he, he knows what lies ahead on the road for them. He knows that they are going to experience Severe trials and tribulations and tests and persecutions, not, not just leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, but thereafter. And so Jesus wants to prepare them. He wants to prepare them for the life that they are going to be called to, and he doesn't want them to, to lose heart or to lose hope. Now, I think it's probably safe to say that some of us might be in the same boat as these disciples, discouraged by trials, perhaps tempted to lose heart. And what I want us to see today is that Jesus encourages and challenges us to keep praying and not lose heart. Before we read our our passage, though, let's turn once again to God and ask him for his help to understand. Let's pray. Our Father, these uh, these disciples did face various difficulties and trials in their lives. And in their troubles, they were tempted to despair. They were tempted to give in to hopelessness. And there are likely some here today, Lord, who know the temptation to despair to lose heart. They may believe the Bible. They trust Christ. They are seeking to walk with you, and yet darkness has become their companion. And they are tempted to to lose heart. And so we, we thank you that before we were even born to such troubles, 
Jesus was already teaching and Luke was already writing down the very words that we so desperately need to hear today. So minister your word to us by the Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Luke 18, let's pick it up in verse 1. Let's hear God's word. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? Who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you. He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless. When the son of man comes. Will he find faith. On earth. I think in a. Within this gathering of the people of God today, there are believers who are trusting in Christ, walking with the Lord, but whose circumstances, which may have consequences for the rest of their lives, are tempted to lose heart. You know, all of our situations are different and unique, but these first disciples faced circumstances that would have tested them to the core and refined their faith in Jesus Christ by fiery trials. And Jesus, knowing that, out of concern for his disciples, as he was teaching them about the coming of his kingdom and the judgment to come, he was concerned to prepare them for the trials and difficulties, so that they might not lose hope. Did you notice, I think he's especially wanting to speak to them about what we might call the trial of despair. Look at what he says to introduce the parable. He, he, he tells you the purpose of the parable up front. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So he tells the disciples a story designed to encourage them to persevere in faith and to not lose heart because that's a very real possibility. That they stop praying and that they lose hope. You know, that's where I think some of you might be today. You've, you've, you've lost hope and perhaps you know what it's like to be in a place where you can, you can barely utter a prayer. And when you finally get some words out, it, it just feels like empty words. And then it feels like they're, 
they're bouncing off of the ceiling, and they're not making their way into the presence of God. You're on your own, cast out, hope is faded, you've lost heart. And my friends, if that's where you are, or if that's where you are tempted to be, then I think Jesus has a timely word for you in this passage. The message of this passage is, is straightforward and clear. In one sense, I could, I could say, here's the message of this text. Keep praying and don't lose heart. And I could step down. Because that really is the message of this text. Keep praying and don't lose heart. But you see, Jesus isn't, he's not a bad counselor. He's a wise counselor. He's not one of those counselors who comes to you and says, let me tell you what to do. Keep praying, don't lose heart. Okay, but Jesus, I want to keep praying and I don't want to lose heart, but I find that very thing happening in my life. Well, stop it. That's not how Jesus handles his disciples here. He's a wise counselor. So what I want you to see him do, see him doing in this passage is the way that Jesus gives his disciples hope-filled reasons for persevering in prayer and, and not losing heart. Um, but before we do that, before we see those reasons, we need to take a look at this parable. You know, I think, I mean, all the, all the parables of Jesus are brilliant, but I think this one especially might catch you by surprise. It puts you in a place, if you're anything like me, where you read it and you might first be thinking, okay, Jesus, you just said you want, to, you know, you want us to keep praying and not lose heart. How in the world does this parable help me with that? All right, so let's try to think about this from the perspective of these disciples who are listening to Jesus. Okay, so Jewish followers of Jesus in the first century. What, what would they have been thinking as they listened to Jesus tell this parable? Again, Jesus, Jesus intends to encourage his disciples to keep praying and not lose heart. And he says, there was a judge who did not fear God or respect people. So, so right away, the, the hearers of Jesus would have recognized that this was a man unfit for his office. You know, the judges of Israel were raised up to be ministers of justice, particularly for the, the weak and the needy and the, the widows and the orphans. And here you have a man whose character contradicts his calling. You know, the, the two fundamental characteristics that would make a person care about justice, he fails on both accounts. He lacks the fear of God, and he doesn't care about people. And so the disciples know that, okay, whoever is going to this judge is set up for disappointment. Unless, of course, you're into bribes or you have something to give this judge that benefits him. If you're going to him for justice, forget about it. And this story is supposed to encourage us to persevere in prayer and not lose heart. Yes. But hold on. 
So after Jesus introduces this crooked judge, things go from bad to worse. Because then, Jesus speaks to us about a widow, and she's, she's been wronged in some way. She's been violated. Uh, she, she's experienced some injustice in her life. And immediately, Jewish listeners would have been thinking, oh no, because at that time, Widows were the example in Israelite society of someone who had no power, no influence, no resources at hand to get the justice that they needed. And so you have this powerless widow coming before this powerful judge who doesn't fear God and doesn't respect people. And everybody listening to Jesus then would have been thinking, okay, this is, this is bad, This is really, really bad. I don't know what's going to happen next, but it's not going to be good because she's going to the wrong judge and she's in a vulnerable position. She's weak with no influence, no resources, and she's coming to a man who doesn't fear God or respect people. And so you get what you expect. She goes to him and he refuses to give her justice. But then Jesus tells us that this widow has one thing going for her. She's persistent. She's doggedly persistent. She kept coming again and again and again and day after day after day. You know, I I imagine her there first thing in the morning um, calling out, I'm here again, give me justice, judge. And when it's her time to come before the the judge, once again, I need justice still. At the end of the day, waiting for the judge to head home. I'm still here. I'm still in need of justice, judge. And eventually it gets to the point where he's so fed up with it. He says, you know what? Even though I do not fear God or respect people, uh, this woman is driving me crazy. (laughs) So I'm just going to give her justice so I don't have to listen to her anymore. You know, uh, Phil Phil Riken tells a story about um, a rancher in Colorado who was subscribed to National Geographic magazine and his subscription ran out. So he started to receive uh, renewal notices, but there was some malfunction in the system so that this this man eventually received 9,734 renewal notices from National Geographic magazine. You can talk to our mailman later to ask them what kind of horror story that would be. But 9,734 notices, and eventually he got to the point where he he wrote a check out to National Geographic magazine and attached a note that said, I give up, send me your magazine. That's what this judge did. He gave in to the persistence of this widow. And then Jesus says to his disciples, in effect, learn the lesson of the story of the unrighteous judge. And again, if you're anything like me, you're, you're thinking, okay, I, I want to learn the lesson, Jesus, but I have no idea what the lesson of this story is. How, how is this supposed to encourage me to keep praying and not lose heart. I'm, I'm all ears, Jesus. What, what's the lesson here? 
Well, take a look at verses 7 and 8, because this is exactly what Jesus does for us. He tells us what the lessons are. He tells you how this story helps us who might feel hopeless to not lose heart and to keep on seeking the Lord. And I think Jesus does so by giving us three reasons that we should keep praying and not lose heart. So three reasons. Let me give you the first one. The first reason we should keep praying and not lose heart is because your God is not like the unjust judge. Your God is not like the unjust judge. But you know, here I think is the issue. (laughs) When you are tempted to despair and when you are feeling hopeless... This is actually how you view your God. This is how you are tempted to think about him. You you think he doesn't care, that he doesn't hear, that he doesn't want to listen. You think he's just like this unjust judge. But you see, Jesus has crafted this story to say to us by way of contrast that our God is not like this unjust judge. So look again at verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? So you see the contrast that Jesus is setting up here. A crooked judge who doesn't care about justice and your God who is utterly committed to administering justice. And if this crooked judge for his own selfish reasons was willing to give this poor widow justice, then will not your God, who is also your loving heavenly father, give to you the justice that you cry out for? But you see, there's another problem here. Because when you've lost hope, I think you have a really hard time believing that, don't you? Don't we? And so the first, I think the first stunning Truth that is underlying what Jesus is saying here is essentially this. That your God is more willing to listen to your prayers than you are willing to pray them. God is more prepared to answer the cries of his children than his children are prepared to cry out to him in their need. Because your God is not like that unjust judge. Cold, aloof, uncaring, unconcerned about your situation and needs. Your God isn't like that. But you see, when you're hopeless and when you're tempted to despair because of the difficulty you find yourself in, it is really hard to believe that. But once again, coming back to the idea of Jesus, a wise counselor, do you see how Jesus knows us so well? You know, he, he fashions this character of the unjust judge knowing that is how we are tempted to view God when we are in a hard and difficult place. And he confronts that by saying, let me remind you, dear one, your God is not like that. I, I know when you lose heart, you're tempted to think that about our father. You'll think he's sitting on the throne like that unjust judge. Unconcerned, removed, detached from 
your life and he's ignoring you because he's forgotten you. He's not listening to your cries for justice. But Jesus is saying, your God, dear one, is not like that. And so you see the first bit of encouragement, I think, the first reason motivating the people of God to keep praying and to not lose heart is that your God is actually more willing to hear your prayers than you are willing to offer them up. He's not an unjust judge. He's a loving father. And if you're a hopeless person or tempted to hopelessness, then I think you know how important this is to remember each and every day. Some of you know, some of you know what it's, what it's like for it to, to become impossible to even pray. Or at least that's how you feel. And Jesus is saying, understand this first of all. Your heavenly father is not like that unjust judge. He is your loving father who cares for you and is eager to answer your prayers. But then Jesus gives us a second reason to keep praying and not lose heart. And the second reason is you are not like the widow. Now, you're to be like the widow in one sense, in terms of her perseverance in prayer, for sure. But there's an important way you are not like the widow in this story. You are in a different position than than you perceive yourself to be when you begin to lose heart, when you're without hope, when prayer becomes a struggle. You think you're in the position of the widow with no resources, no, no voice, no one to cry out to, but you're not. Now look again at what Jesus says in verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect? Now, I want to ask you to just set aside all of the questions and concerns you have about the doctrine of election for a moment. Set aside all of the concerns you have about it because of ways it's been misrepresented by sinful men and women. Don't cross your arms and get on the defensive and not hear what Jesus is actually saying to his disciples. I want you to listen in and see how Jesus uses and applies the doctrine of election to his disciples here. He's saying to them, don't you realize who you are? Realize who you are. That you are the beloved of God. That he set his love upon you before you were born. Before the foundations of the earth, God loved you. And he sent his son to to live for you and to die for you to secure your everlasting redemption. And then through the gospel and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he, he sovereignly called you to himself into union and communion with Christ and forgave you of your sins and accepted you in his son and adopted you into his family and has named you an heir of God, an heir of the world, an heir with Jesus Christ. Do you realize that God has so loved you that he gave his only son to make you his child? Jesus is saying you are his chosen. 
So do you see, Jesus is using the doctrine of election to work assurance and hope into the hearts of his people. And my friends, that is what the doctrine of election is for. It is not a revealed doctrine so that we have something to argue about with our brothers and sisters. It is not a doctrine uh, revealed by God so that we can establish our reformed pedigree. It is not a doctrine revealed so that we can pat ourselves on the back or, or somehow say, oh, I must be better than so-and-so down the street because God chose me. Dear friends, those are all misunderstandings and radical distortions of the doctrine of election. And Jesus is using the doctrine of election the way it's supposed to be used, the way it's the reason for which it has been revealed, which is the assurance and comfort of our hearts. And so he wants us to know that when life is perplexing and difficult, you can rest assured that your father loves you and has given you a status and privileges and a future. So Jesus wants us to recognize that you're not in the same position as the widow was with the unjust judge. Believer in Jesus, you are a chosen child of God coming before a father who loves you. You see, the unjust judge has no concern for the widow whatsoever, but that is not how it is with you and your God. You're not like that. You're in a different position. You have a different relationship and status. You're his four loved sons and daughters. And that means he set his love on you before the foundation of the world and that, so that even though you experience deep injustice in the here and now, crying out, Lord, how long? Jesus gives this assurance that God will give justice to his elect. And so not only is God not like the unjust judge, because he is just and eager to hear about the needs of his people, but But friends, we are not like this widow because we are not helpless and unwanted. We are his beloved chosen children in Jesus Christ. Now there's a third lesson that Jesus gives us here. The third reason to keep praying and not lose heart. And and the reason is this, that Jesus is coming again to make everything right. Now, where do you see that in this passage? Take a look again. At, let's just pick it up in verse 7. Will, will not God give justice? Will, will he delay long over them, over the prayers of his people, over the cries of his people for justice? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Okay, so when's that going to happen? Look at what he says, says next. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes. Now stop there. Pause with me for a moment. I know the sentence keeps going and we'll come to the rest of it in just a minute. But do you see what Jesus is doing? He is connecting the full and final answer to the prayers of God's people for justice with the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus is reminding his disciples that I am, I am returning one day And I will bring justice with me. I'm going to come 
for my people and set everything right as it should be. But again, a challenge for us, I think it's, I don't think it's just me, a challenge for us has to do with timing, doesn't it? You know, we have our timetable, how we would like events to unfold, and God has his timetable, how he has sovereignly ordained that events will unfold. And so when you hear Jesus say he will give justice speedily, you, you might be tempted to say, it sure doesn't feel speedy to me. It actually seems like his justice is delayed and that his justice is long in its coming. But you see, I think Jesus is showing us that one of our problems is that we're still thinking within <clears throat> the limits of our own lifetime while Jesus is thinking in terms of his second coming. And this is not a unique problem for you know, 21st century Christians today. This was an issue that first century Christians were wrestling with. Peter addresses it. You remember somebody's asking, well, where, where is he? Where's his return that you speak of? And you remember the words of Peter when he says, do not overlook this fact, this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. You know, I think we're always, we're always in a hurry and we get bent out of shape when God doesn't answer in the timing that we have in mind. But we need to remember the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. There is no unnecessary delay to the fulfillment of God's promise and to the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, God knows what he's doing, dear friends. And I wonder if, can I ask you, do, do you really believe that? Do, do you really believe that God is working according to a plan? And that that plan takes into consideration the details of your life? Do we really believe that? Now, there will be some things in life that are not put right. And Jesus, Jesus knows that. But his coming will be right on time. And his coming will make everything right. It will be, and it will be in, in answer to the prayers of God's people down through this age, crying out for justice in the midst of hopelessness and trials. And for those who trust in him. That's... That's a key thing for us to recognize in this passage. Jesus is saying that this only applies to those who have entrusted themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are the only people in the world who have no right to hopelessness. And Jesus is saying that when he returns one day, he, he will take care of everything in the end. He will make everything as it should be when he comes back. But you see, that leads us then to the challenge that Jesus has for us here. Because he ends with this stinging question. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? 
persevering faith. A faith seeking the Lord. A faith that, though it at times might lose heart, is clinging to the Lord and trusting in his promises. And dear friends, I I just want to ask you that if, if the Lord Jesus Christ were to return this afternoon, would he find this kind of faith in us? I've been wrestling with this question all week. Not, not, not the question Jesus is asking here. But this question, as I've prepared for this sermon, why, why is it necessary for Jesus to encourage and challenge us to keep on praying and, and not lose heart? Why is, that, why is it necessary for Jesus to do that? I mean, you might, you might think we wouldn't need that encouragement. We wouldn't need this challenge. After all, we have, a, we have a perfect Savior who has atoned for all of our sins. We have a, we have a Jesus who, who laid down his life and was raised again from the dead to secure our everlasting salvation. We've, we've been forgiven. Our sins have been cast into the depths of the sea and removed as far as the east is from the west. We've been adopted into the household of God and named the sons and daughters of of God most high. We've been given the Holy Spirit, the the representative agent of the Lord Jesus Christ who, who dwells within us and actually enables us to pray. So you might think, we wouldn't need this encouragement and this challenge to keep on keeping on and to fix our eyes upon Jesus. You'd think we wouldn't need to be reminded that our first response is not to complain, but to get down on our knees and and take it to the Lord in prayer. To say, you know, Lord, there's here's here's this problem. And it's complicated and it's messy. And you know what? I've probably contributed to the complexity and the messiness of this situation. And, and I don't know how to untie this knot. Would you help me? That's what we ought to be doing. But you see, Jesus knows our weakness. He knows how fickle we are. Frankly, he knows how unspiritual we are at times, how easily we lose heart, how easily we lose sight of of what our Father in heaven is really like and who we really are as adopted children. And then there's the devil, the weakness of our flesh, the temptations of this world, the distractions of this age. There's physical weariness, the demands of a a busy schedule, a lack of discipline, all of these things. And Jesus knows that. And so he gives us this parable with three encouragements to keep praying and not lose heart. God is not like the unjust judge. He is your loving father in heaven who will answer your cries for justice. And you are not like that widow. You are forgiven, accepted, adopted, chosen child of God. And Jesus is coming again one day to make everything right. And therefore, you see, in the in-between, between the two advents of Christ, in this 
period of the, the already, of the arrival of the kingdom of God and the not yet of the full reality of the kingdom of God in this world, we can keep praying. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones used to put it in his letters, we can keep on keeping on. Looking to the Lord. Because we can have hope in light of what Jesus has already done. And in light of what Jesus has promised to one day do for his people. You know, some of you, some of you are here today and you, you've lost heart or you may be losing heart. You, you trust in the Lord. You're clinging to the gospel. You're seeking to walk with the Lord in faithful obedience. But you've lost heart. And Jesus is saying to you, dear one, I don't want you to stay there. I don't want you to remain there. Because you have a father who cares. You are a chosen child of God. And you have a savior who is coming again one day to set everything right. So keep praying. And don't lose heart. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this uh, surprising parable. And uh, we pray that we would be challenged and encouraged to keep praying. Make us a prayerful people who seek your face daily and who do not lose heart. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.